Steve Cleveland's weekly appearance here with DJ and PK is brought to you by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And the New Year kicked off with the Utes in the Rose Bowl, which was an enormous game and an enormous event. And you live in California, so you know all about that. And you've also lived in Utah, so you know how uh, crazy our state goes for big events. And we certainly did. And then there was a little game afterwards where the Utes played the Warriors. Excuse me, the Jazz played the Warriors. And I came away with that thinking... Oh my gosh, the Warriors have done such a great job of developing role players and young guys. Wiggins has a level of confidence now. He did not blink in the fourth quarter. He scored nine straight points, and Steph Curry made big shots before that and after it. So it's not like Curry didn't do anything, because he did. But And I know when you reintegrate guys, it could mess things up, but I'm feeling like the Warriors should be the overwhelming favorite to win the championship. Am I out of my mind? Is this recency bias because I just watched that game? Well, you know, uh, first of all, I agree with you, uh, especially when I sat there on Twitter or Instagram or somewhere, somewhere and I saw Clay Thompson make 24 three-pointers in <laughs> three games. <laughs> I mean, they, they showed him making all 24. Somewhere on social media, I watched it a day or two ago, and it showed Clay making 24 threes in a row. Uh, he's he's going to be back soon. I, we'll see how that all figures out. But, I, you know, here's the thing about the Warriors. I actually watched that game. And I don't have an eye, and, and I've watched pretty much all of it. I just, for whatever reason, I don't normally watch all of NBA games, but I was so intrigued by that game. And I'm, I'm telling you right now that Andrew Wiggins, I mean, he's, he's an all star. I mean, he, I don't know if he'll make the all star team, but I'll tell you what, he is playing with such confidence, such resolve, and uh, it's fun to watch him, man. I mean, he is a huge piece of that. And th- and then to watch Otto Porter Jr., who I really don't even know, and I you know I, mean, I know him because I live in California, and everybody here is a Golden State fan in Northern California. But he has been just amazing. And then in that game, Iguodala hit big shots. And besides the fact that uh, uh, you know they they had 39 assists, that just so, tells you. I mean, I'm sitting there watching my Lakers and just sick to my stomach. And there's no movement, and and Golden State just is in constant motion, and uh, you know, and they had to make big shots at the end to win, and and the Jazz certainly, I don't know, they scored at least I think 40 or so in the third quarter. They got themselves in a position where they could win that game. Wow, just thinking about Clay coming back and what this team's got going, that coaching staff, that organization, uh, they've really turned Wiggins and Porter and Iguodala. We you know you're going to get what you get, but. He hit a huge three in that game. But, uh, yeah, I, I came away feeling the same thing, is that these guys, it, they are hard to guard. And and they and they do rely on perimeter shots, but they have great shooters. Yeah, they really do. I like the one play where um, Curry's coming around from the left side, and he gets the ball in front of the Jazz bench, and he turns around and squares on, shoots all in one motion, and drops into three. And Ron Boone was doing the the uh, color commentating, and I like what he said. There was no, oh my gosh, and oh no, uh, hyperbolic standard or statement, or however you say that word. He just said, he's unbelievable. And the way he said it, it just, like, I'm going to go walk the dog. He's unbelievable. 
and I thought about it, and that's really the best way to sum it up because it's happened so often for so long that you don't need to scream and yell and go, Dick Vitale, I'm old baby, and all that stuff. Just He's unbelievable. And really, that says it all to me in an understated way to try to describe what this fellow can do out on the basketball floor. Yeah, and, and he's in a perfect system that's been developed for him. And, uh, and because you do have to spend a great deal of time chasing him and, 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 and finding him and knowing where he's at, which allows other guys to get more open shots. And then that's what happens on great teams that have great players. And, and what defines, I think, great teams is, is, you know, you're four, fifth, sixth, and seventh guys down, you know, in the depth chart. When, when they can, they just play with so much confidence and, and that, I just can't tell you, no, I, I've just never seen a team move. And, and, and you know, listen, Phoenix and Utah are, are great teams as well. They're going to be right in there. But nobody moves the ball offensively, and, and they're underrated defensively as well. I mean, you don't think of Golden State, but I, I, I didn't realize it. But I think I heard somebody say that they were like, in terms of just points scored, they're, Golden State's number one in the NBA defensively. Now, I don't know. There's lots of categories. But uh, – I think they're right up there at one or two, and and we're always talking about their offense. But the the defense is is really 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 good. And, and uh, a good friend of mine, Ron Adams, who was there for a long, he's still there with the Warriors. He's he's not on the front bench anymore. He's in a more of a supportive role. But you know, I consider him one of the geniuses of the game. I watched him as a high school coach and a college coach, a junior college coach. But we we do talk a great deal, but. Golden State is really, really good defensively in terms of principles and where they're supposed to be. They're just, I guess the best word for me is they are absolutely connected at both ends of the floor. They are number one in defensive rating. I looked up while you were talking. Jazz are six, Suns are two, Warriors are one right yeah, now. I mean, and you could tell Ron Adams, the Gauchos really would have been somebody if he hadn't left. I'm still a little bummed about that. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll let him know that when yeah, you think I see him. <laughs> That's probably, probably the only person who says that to him, but nonetheless. So when I, I always uh, say this, and then Peek always gets mad at me, uh, but the NBA is a copycat league, whatever works, right? And so the pick and roll, which when Jerry Sloan had Stockton alone doing it, oh, Jerry's old school, this offense is old school. Now you flash forward 25, 30 years. And everybody's running the pick and roll, and the Warriors is old school. At times, I think I see bits of the flex offense, this pass and cutaway thing that we ran when I was in high school. Is the whole league going to spin around to that in a few years? Because the thing that really helps the Warrior defense is everybody's chasing these guys around, fighting through screens. It's bound to leave some guys fatigued and some guys missing shots late in game. Their offense is absolutely helping their defense. Well, I don't care what level you're at. If you're a high school coach or you're a junior college coach or Division One coach in the NBA, coaches watch a lot of film. And, and we, you know, coaches steal from others, concepts, ideas, set plays, quick hitters, you know, whatever it might be. So there, there will be an influence. And I, and I think that, you know, you, you build a team and an organization for a system. And Golden State has that system, and they know what they're looking for. You know, I've watched Cleveland play a couple of times, and and they're doing things so dramatically different with playing three seven-footers. Well, that's not going to be something that a lot of people jump into because most teams aren't going to play three seven-footers at the same time. 
but teams like Golden State, teams like the Jazz, teams like Phoenix, they're kind of the standard bearers in the NBA. And 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 I, I, I there's no way that every coach in the NBA and all their assistants and, and you know they've got so much experience in the game is that you do see uh, Princeton principles, you do see flex action, you 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 do see a wheel action, you do see a lot of back screens and back cuts, a lot of things that were prevalent in, at the collegiate level, with, depending on the program, and now. You know, it, it, you, you see a lot of this type of movement. You didn't used to see this. I mean, the Lakers are still just playing power basketball, pounded, and, 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 and do that. But the, the game is changing. And I, I watched Charlotte play for, for a few minutes of the day, and guys are moving. And So, yeah, I, I do believe the league is going to go to more movement, more action with that. I mean, the, the ball screen is not going away. It, it is certainly going to be a, a prevalent part of the NBA. But it, it, it's, it's one of those things that movement with ball screens, with back cuts, just the timing issues and, and, and the constant movement makes you really, really hard to guard. Now, that being said, you don't have guys that are really good shooters. And, you know, you kind of sometimes have to adjust to your talent. And where, where is the strength of our teams? And I was watching Cleveland. You know, you, you look at Mobley, young kid here, and, and, and they're kind of pounding the ball inside. And then Kevin Love steps out, hits some threes. So everybody has their own identity, a lot of it depending on personnel. But if you, I mean, I'm watching Chicago, for instance. I mean, who would have ever thought that Chicago would be, you know, in first place in the NBA East? We knew those trades took place and we saw what happened. But, you know, they're they're a, a team that can score in transition, they can beat you off the dribble. You know, they're not running – there's not a lot of action, but they keep the floor spread and they have to respect shooters. And uh, they have, you know, they have guys that, to exactly like mean who can really attack the basket. So that's not gone away. A, a lot of the dribble drive and, and the penetration action is a big part of the NBA. It's also a big part of high school basketball in California right now and throughout, throughout the country. So uh, we do. Coaches will take and watch – and, uh, and and make tweaks, and that's one of the fun things about coaching is whether it's quick hitters. Like I used to always watch out of bounds plays, quick hitters, ISOs, late game stuff. I, I, when I would watch basketball, when I was really involved, I was always taking notes and implementing. And if anytime you have a dead ball or a timeout, you know you need to come out of that timeout with some kind of action that's different than what you've been doing to kind of get a have an advantage. And so I know I know the NBA guys are all watching each other, and some have the personnel to play like, you know, Golden State to a certain degree, but a lot of them don't have that personnel set to play that way. But certainly the concepts of all these different types of actions that have accumulated over the years, it's uh, it, the, the NBA is not. Just, I mean, obviously the screen and roll is a, a big part of that, and and uh, but there's a lot of other stuff going on that. Uh, has really made the NBA fun to watch. From the Jazz perspective, I think they're going to have to play much better to beat the Warriors if they should get them in a postseason or even Phoenix for that matter. But if I look at this individual game uh, against the Warriors, they lost and you you don't accept losing and don't think that uh, it's okay by any stretch. But if I look at it, 
I sort of can just say to myself, I can rationalize very easily with you got Ingles, 1 of 7, 0 of 6 from 3, Mitchell, 4 of 19, 2 of 9, Conley, 4 of 13, 2 of 6. Shots didn't fall. So from the Jazz perspective, I'm nowhere near getting nervous or pushing any type of panic button. No, especially when, you know, because it was, it was an aberration. I mean, I, I don't I don't have all the analytics that access to all that, but Mitchell going four for 19 at home, that, I, you know, if that happened to go to state, okay, that makes sense. But but you're right. They, they didn't shoot the ball well. And, I mean, the third quarter they played well. But, but they're, they're a team that uh, has the capacity and capability to beat Golden State. And Golden State, I mean, Iguodala had made some big shots. And we keep saying that, you know, when you, when you take a look at, at, at the shooters that Golden State has, but they made big baskets late in the game, and they've got a lot of confidence. But, you know, when, when it comes down to nutcracking time and it's time to win games, you get in the playoffs and things, you know, I, I think teams are going to play. You know, I mean, I, you're going to see, you've seen a little bit already, but guys are going to get doubled. You know, you're going to play people differently. You're going to give certain guys shots. And that all gets figured out through the course of the year. But when playoffs time comes, you know, you, you've got to have a solid foundation offensively and defensively. But oftentimes adjustments in games – are, are the difference where, hey, you know what? We're going to take the ball out of Steph's hand every time he touches it. We're going to make somebody else beat, beat us. Well, right now, Andrew Wiggins, and Otto Porter Jr., and uh, I forgot another another young player, they've stepped up and made those shots when you know you took the, took the ball out of his hands. But Clay Thompson coming back is going to be even more difficult. But I, I don't think there's any reason for the Jazz or the Phoenix Suns uh, or uh, you know a few other teams there in the West that. I mean, well, those are the top three, and they're probably going to be there right at the end. But there's no reason to panic on that. It's it's one of those things that I see. Uh, you know, there's what we probably we played half. I mean, we pretty much played almost half the season, and so there's a lot of basketball left. But I like the Jazz a lot, and I think they have a great opportunity. Uh, but they when they have bad shooting, actually, because they're not they're not getting a lot of points in the paint. I mean, Gobert is scoring around the paint and stuff. And there's not a lot of attacking the rim. Certainly, Mitchell is the, is the one guy on that team that can really take it to the rack, rack and, and create, as well as Clarkson at times. But you know, they're, they're right in the thick of it. And uh, they just got to keep playing and uh, doing what they're doing. But the adjustments that could happen and make – you're in the second half of this season, there will be adjustments. And people will play people differently. And then when they get to the playoffs, the same – there will be more adjustments. But I, I mean – Utah offensively is number one in the you know in the league offensively one number one field goal percentage. Uh, they're you know in, in the top five or six defensively. I mean they're right there in a position to to win an NBA championship, and I, I think that's um, that's what they're thinking, and I know that's what the fans are hoping. On the college basketball front, the West Coast Conference had the entire uh, schedule wiped out this weekend. The Pac-12 played uh, two games and had three games canceled. How many games a week can college kids be playing? I know in AAU they play a bunch of games, but they're not getting on planes and flying all over the place uh, between every game either. Uh, How should these games be rescheduled, do you think? If they should. You know... I I, I I don't I don't know how they're going to do it, and uh, you know it's the WCC is not you know they're not going across the country for games, and and you, you know the distances 
they're, they all live on the West Coast, so it's probably easier there where people can get on a bus, don't even have to worry about a flight, and get to games. But I, I think it's going to be – it's problematic. I, I just worry that when I start seeing <clears> – <throat> seven, eight, nine, ten games being postponed. It, it, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I, kinda, I don't know if this is a conspiracy theory or what. Or, you know, is this all COVID? Is it situations where they have these health protocols like the NBA has? Is, is, I mean, everything seems to be asymptomatic. Uh, somebody gets tested positive. I, I don't even know what the time frame is for college players that they have to wait three or four days or 48 hours, be retested again. I don't understand a lot of that. My, my thinking is, and, and this is, I don't know, I'm sitting there thinking our, our programs, you hope it's all on the up and up. You know, well, we've got, we've got a kid here. We're playing Gonzaga Wednesday, and we do have a couple kids with you know, COVID, and, and I don't think we want to take a chance. I mean, I don't know who's making these decisions. I hope it's athletic directors, and I hope it's at the highest level of integrity. But when you start seeing all this, you go, wow, how are they going to figure this out? You know, and is it going to come back down to uh, – because they're not going to be able to make up all the games. I just don't see that happening. And how are we going to decide who qualifies? It? Is the conference tournament going to be exactly who I would determine? And then, you know, when you examine uh, the pedigree of a team over – some teams play 17 games, some play 22, some play 28 uh, – I, that for me is uh, hard to, to grasp and put my arms around. It, it makes me nervous. It just does make me nervous. And uh, hopefully, they it, it, it resolves itself and we can get things figured out. But uh, you know, guy, you played Gonzaga twice, and you played BYU once, and St. Mary's twice, and USF once, and, and and you know, you got five or six losses, and then there's other teams in your league who haven't played, only played one of those teams. Whereas the parity. How's that all going to get figured out? Will it just be the you know the NA the net or the RPI of a team that you know gets teams into the NC2A tournament? Those things it just kind of it reminds me of things that happened a couple of years ago. That uh, I hope we don't go to that point because it's just you, you want to see this time of the year. You want to be able to see teams play collegiately, and, and that, that this is an exciting time, especially in February and March. He's Steve Cleveland. He joins us every week here to talk basketball on The Zone, the former BYU basketball coach. Steve, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. All right, you too. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, brought to you by Mountainland Supply. When we come back, everything you missed in this show, a lot of Rose Bowl talk. We will get to that next. Stay with us. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. You know I was babysat until 8th grade. Dolores Arnold used to babysit me every day after school. And Dolores? Her husband. Yeah. Like he got like 220-pound 8th grade hands. Would you Can we not focus me? on that? You're like, hey, Dolores. Hi, Hans. I think it's funny the thought of an 8th grade Hans Olsen probably pushing two bills. He's <laughs> sitting in and being babysat. You guys let me know when you're done so I can finish my story. Tell us more about Dolores. Anyways, her husband, Don, liked MASH. Sitting next to Don on the couch watching MASH. Hey, (laughs) Don, can I borrow your shaver? (laughs) Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
9 a.m. Slacker Radio Headlines brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for their $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. Talked a lot of football this morning, a little bit of NFL. There's tons of storylines there. A lot of Utes in the Rose Bowl. The uh, NFL, man, there were a lot of quarterbacks with the Utah Ties playing this weekend. Taysom Hill got a start in New Orleans. Tyler Huntley got a start in Baltimore. Zach Wilson, his 12th start for the Jets. His last... Sam Darnold's first start came in Utah? Yeah. That's yeah, a Utah tie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Zach Wilson, his first six games before he got hurt, four touchdowns, nine picks. He's played six games since he came back now. Four touchdowns, only two picks. Making fewer of the big mistakes. Tightening up the act a little bit. Nearly beat the Bucs, but Tampa Bay got it done. Yeah, that was the worst quarterback sneak in the history of quarterback sneaks. <laughs> Fourth and two. <laughs> that guy in motion yeah, like might be better on a flight. Six guys up behind there yeah. in the line of scrimmage defensively. Well, he got half a yard. Yeah, it was a mix-up. And then the defense didn't do him any favors, and Brady builds to his legend, which is just impossible. because Right legend. down the field, throw the yeah. 33-yard touchdown pass with 15 seconds left to win the game. He goes over the bench and, like, he's thrown 40 touchdowns this year at the age of 44. Yeah, you see what they can do in the postseason. And the Antonio Brown situation, and that's not good. I mean, I don't think that there's any enjoyment in any of that stuff. He needs to get some help there. Something's going on. Obviously, something's been going on. It's been going on for a long time. So maybe this is the sort of the come-to-Jesus moment, as they say, and and get some professional help. Uh, but the Bucks just keep winning. The Packers roll. They yeah, play, the Vikings had Sunday night games in Green Bay. Uh, Al Michaels is like, I'm not doing every game this year. Well, then I'm checking out a Lambo in January. Forget that. Mike Tirico can have that game. I know. I'm staying warm. How cold could that be? People are out there, and the one guy they showed drinking beer with no shirt on, his flabby gut. <laughs> You see all the Bills fans in the snow and Buffalo, the Bills same fans, deal. And then we also had a yeah. hockey game played in sub-zero temperatures and players walking out in like board shorts. But but the Bills in the day, you can't avoid that unless they build a dome. I right. guess that's true. You yeah. can build a you can, you can avoid keep the Packers your shirt and jacket on. Yeah, You're right about the scheduling. The Bills are going to have to have home games in December and January. Yeah. They're going to. Yeah. But there were a ton of fans with their shirts off in Buffalo. Well, they're tough. Uh-huh. The Bills Mafia is a special group. Yeah. I went to college with a Bills fan and because he was from Buffalo and Man, he was so passionate about the yes. Bills. I mean, it was just like the Bills were life and death to him. We had a photographer channel two like that. We had an intern who now works down at Dixie State, soon to be Utah Tech. And it was, you know, such a smaller they're, area. They're hardcore. Those Bills fans are all the way in. Jamar Chase putting on a show. 11 catches, 266 yards, three touchdowns. I thought I was watching the Rose Bowl again. You know, Joe Burrow putting on a show, Joe too. Joe Burrow and Jamar matter. Chase. Yeah. Now, the third one was busted coverage. I don't know where the safety was going. You can see him running up, and Chase is running by him like, well, this is going to be easy. Yeah, but Burrow's looking like a superstar. They won that division, right? They the, did. They clinched, clinched AFC it. North yep. with the come-from-behind 34-31 win over the Chiefs. The timing is good. You got Ben Roethlisberger on the way out, and yep. then you got all sorts of injuries at quarterback there for uh, Baltimore. Yep. 
So they take advantage of it. Cincinnati is all set. They've just yeah. got seeding to wrap up now. They play Cleveland in the final week of the season. And what a blip Cleveland was last year making the playoffs and right back to the bottom. Cardinals beat the Cowboys. The Cardinals could be playing the Cowboys again in the playoffs in two weeks. That could be the five seed versus the four seed. It's not set for sure, but I think if you look at probable results this weekend, there's a decent chance that's how it'll play out. Uh, I don't know. Rams got uh, the Rams got the Niners. Niners and who wins if they're tied between the Rams and the Cardinals? I believe the Rams do. Do they? I will check that and make sure for so you. So then they've clinched the division because that I works. thought I saw an X next to their name. That's what I'm going. Well, on. I'm is it a, double check is right it now. X for playoff? No, nope, it's playoffs. It's not. It's not clinched. Right, yet. That's what is I thought. Z is for. Uh, so division. if the Niners yeah. can go down to L.A. and beat the Rams, then the Cardinals win and get the division title. I don't know that. Do you know that? It, well, if they didn't win it on the tie, it would already be a Z next uh, to the Rams. They have a well, they got to beat Seattle, who went nuts offensively. Sure, fifty-one twenty-nine over the Lions, but those are the Lions. They're terrible. They sleep tonight. Yeah, they're terrible. You didn't get that line sleep tonight? I did. A wee a wee a wee I did get it, thank you. <laughs> the, uh, a lot of teams are not in, but set themselves up with wins. The char- most char- teams aren't in. Most teams are eliminated, but there's the teams <laughs> on the bubble in between. Well, you said a lot of teams aren't in. The Chargers, Actually, most of them aren't. Chargers beat the Broncos. The Raiders kicked the last thing at field goal to win, so now the Chargers and Raiders play, and whoever wins gets an AFC wildcard berth. That's the Sunday night game uh, next Sunday. Well, I expected the Chargers to win for sure. Denver's I didn't dating. watch a second of Denver's that game. big time. That was yeah. a crappy game. I know you like to defend it, but it was no, a crappy game. it was a crappy game. game, and I wish they hadn't died. Uh, I wish they'd Kansas I did, I did not have the Raiders winning. Yeah, that was a little bit of a surprise. And that was good because they blew the lead, gave up the field goal, but went right back down the field and got the field goal to win the game. So that was good. Colts did not look good. And they had won 8 out of 10, but that was a good win for the Raiders. Yeah, I think it was a great win. Are you kidding me? On the road? And I was grateful that they were on the road, too, so I didn't have to drive in Vegas. Drive through the Vegas traffic and have a Legion Stadium (laughs) dumping 50,000 people in front of you? Yes, I actually (laughs) checked it. I told my wife as we got on I-15... I said, could you check and see if the Raiders are home today? Uh, so I know what's going yeah. to be ahead. And she said, they're playing the, at the Coles. I said, sweet. Then we don't have to worry about that. Saints beat the Panthers 18-10. to They get in if they win next week. They're playing the Falcons. And if the Eagles lose to the Cowboys or the Niners lose, that can open the door for the Saints. So they need a win and help. You see the funny thing with the uh, Eagles? They look terrible. So they win the ball game, and Hurts is coming off the field, and people are reaching out to him of the tunnel, and they have the little battle there, and it breaks. And they fall over, yeah. and then Hurts and they're posing for pitchers he with picks, them. He stops, <laughs> he picks them up, and puts the arms around them, and, and then more smiling. people are jumping down to be a part of it. And all of a sudden, the guys in the yellow coats are starting to panic. <laughs> Wait a minute! And meanwhile, he's like, yeah, whatever. And they're trying to push him away, and he's got a big grin on his face, just looking, sure, I'll pose for pitchers, why not? <laughs> Washington's just a mess, man. The stadium breaks, I mean, the railing's giving away under fans. There's a ton of Eagle fans there because it's, it's not that close. long a trip, oh, no. right? It's just a and they're hours. easy. There were tons of open seats. Yeah. When the cameras panned the stadium, there was nobody at that game. And the Eagles nearly messed it up. They kicked a couple of late field goals, and Washington got down to the 20 yard line, was throwing the ball in the end zone in the final 30 seconds. They got a pick to win the game. I told you a while back, I have family of family. So, I mean, in laws 
their family. Mm-hmm. They have uh, season tickets to the Eagles and the Ravens. Family, family, I like that. Because they just go south or just go across the bridge. Yeah. Depending on uh, who's home. Which way the game is. Yeah. Who's got the better game if yeah. they're both home. Because he's from, she's from the South Jersey area. He's from uh, the uh, Maryland area. And so that's, every, I mean, everything is just jammed in there. So, yeah. But it just cracked me up. Uh, what, I actually thought it was great. Instead of being uh, put off by the fans, Hurts smiling, taking oh, yeah, pictures yeah. with him. He just totally rolled with it. <laughs> now they won, so it's. But still, how many guys would have stopped there? Yeah, and, and you see the railing go down. Smile. That looked like a scary situation. I mean, people could. Yeah, have been he turned hurt. around. He saw that they're okay. There's a guy laying at his feet. Yeah, I know. He just fell right, right at his feet. Uh, are you buying the Titans as the best in the AFC? If they beat the Houston Texans next next week, they will be the one seed, and the Chiefs would be the two, even if Kansas City wins next week. They could be getting Derrick Henry back. They have a bye week. There's all kinds of talk about him coming back now. Will he be Derrick Henry conditioning? Will he wear down over a game? You know, there's all kinds of stuff that could go wrong. I get that. To me, the Chiefs are more of a proven product, so I'd I'd go with them. And I know they lost to Cincinnati. It seemed like there was 42 penalties until they got... uh, the winning score, but well, yeah, not th- not kicking the field goal down there, going for it on fourth down. I didn't see what was going on. That didn't make any sense to it me. It didn't either. Oh, but then, then when once Burrow got hurt, then there was no uh, doubt about it. Now, right. hopefully, his injury is not anything long term. Uh, but I right now, I would go KC, but I don't think there's a clear, overwhelming favorite in KC either, by a nose either conference, which is a fan. Is great. Makes that me as a fan of the NFL, not a fan of one of those teams. Yeah, I'm sure the Packers and Chiefs want to be runaway favorites. Of course. Yeah, you'd rather if you're a fan of those teams, you want them to be dominant. But I don't see it. If Uh, if I were the the Packers in the one seed, and I assume that they the Packers will be looking at for the purposes of discussion the winner of the four or five game between Dallas and Arizona, although that's not totally set. I would way rather play Dallas than Arizona. Really? Arizona's got like a wild card element to me. Like they could they could go off. Uh, Dallas what, what, feels like Green Bay will beat what's Dallas. What's Hopkins' status? I don't know. What what would his status be for that game? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, uh, that's so far out I don't know. He's a player. Big time. Big time. And I just feel like Arizona has a wild card unpredictable element. I feel like Green Bay had beat him 3 out of 4 or 4 out of 5. But you don't have to. Yeah. But that one time, could Arizona pull it off? Murray can get hot, hit on a couple big pass plays, run for another one or two, and they could get you. Uh, but, but tell the, me, if Hopkins is playing, then I agree with you that much more. But the Cowboys, it feels like they'll go up there and get beat. They're not that good. They're, they're good to a degree. They are playoff good. They are a legit playoff team. I don't believe the Cowboys are in the playoffs only because they're NFC East. They're clearly the best team in the NFC East. But outside, then they're just kind of 500-ish. Which, quite frankly, is going to get some other teams into the playoffs. I mean, yeah, it's not like the Eagles, the Niners, teams, though. the Chargers, or the Raiders are all that special. But, they, but I don't think any of those teams would go into Green Bay and go into Lambeau and beat the Packers. I wouldn't pick the Chargers uh, there. I wouldn't pick the Niners there. I wouldn't pick the Raiders there. No, but I w- I'm not going to say it's because of the venue. No, that, it's that, Green that Bay's better. Green Bay's better. Especially at home. And Rodgers has an axe to grind against the world. Yes. Now, you get to the conference final, 
Tampa Bay might go in there and win again. The Rams might go in there. Stanford or Stafford was way loose with the ball yesterday. He got it together and won the game. Big completions to OBJ on fourth down, and then for the touchdown on the next play to win the game, twenty to nineteen. But they were only in that hole because he threw a pick six, and then he threw another pick, and then the fumble was really soft. He leads the league in most pick sixes. And we've talked a lot of Rose Bowl this morning. Uh, the game was disappointing. The only way to win that was, well, the offense going quiet in the third quarter was a big issue, and it's getting overlooked because everybody looks at the end of the game. Should the Utes have scored so quick? But did they want to put more pressure on an inexperienced quarterback who made a couple of big throws and a big run there on that drive to get that tying touchdown? Should they have gone for two? Should they have onsides a kickoff? Should they have let him score? Those are all low percentage moves. And Kyle played the percentages, but he didn't have the better cards. Ohio State had the better hand. It's tied. Either score and win, or you go to overtime, so a little bit of the pressure's off. Two minutes and one timeout with their big play potential. They can go down the field, and they did. I don't have a problem with anything that Utah did as far as strategy-wise. I do wonder if they went for two and got it, would that may have added a sense of extra pressure on Ohio State because it's much easier to make the shot when the game is tied yes, as opposed to when you're behind and it's a win or lose. They knew that they had OT. They had at least one more possession no matter what happened there. I wonder if they had some two-point play they had a ton of confidence in because the problem with going for two is you're not likely to run for it. They're expecting it. You're not running the ball well on that drive. And if you're throwing it, you're putting all the pressure on a guy who did just throw a touchdown pass. It's probably feeling great, but obviously he's wildly inexperienced. Yeah, but in short yardage situations, man, with those tight ends that they've got, and and again, maybe you got to play you really love. Yeah, Ludwig is at the top of his game. I wouldn't have minded it. I don't know what makes a difference though. they still could have gone down the field and scored a touchdown Easy. and won the game or kicked a field goal and won the game. Right. Yeah. So I don't know that it matters. They said all of these are, all of the things that could have happened, I think, are low percentage moves. And I get why Kyle didn't want to do them. But I just felt like they probably needed to do a low percentage move because if you're playing the percentages, well, the percentages also say Ohio State's going to go down the field and well, kick a field goal and win. It's easy to say now, but it was. But you thought the same thing at then. the time. I was standing on Utah's sideline and I felt like, a spe- once they returned the kickoff virtually to midfield, like, oh, they're we're gonna, done. Yeah. We know how this is going to end. Unless the only thing I was thinking, hoping for them, was a holding penalty to put them in a and then in a maybe, bad down and distance. Yeah, and right. maybe a third and fourth and long, and maybe that was the way. But that never materialized. Ohio State did a great job at the line of scrimmage, despite the fact they were missing a defensive lineman and an offensive lineman. Can you say the Utes won the line of scrimmage in that game? No. They didn't get enough pressure on well, the quarterback. Well, 48-45, I don't know anybody's winning it. <laughs> okay. Uh, and they each were basically gifted a touchdown, so you cancel that out. The drop, punt, the kick, return. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know that there was anything dominant there. I think that uh, probably the edge to Ohio State, because they won the game and they got the sack, uh, fumbled, smack on the head for rising, and it didn't seem like Stroud ever got his shirt dirty. Right. Huge fourth down stop for Ohio State on Keithy. That was a big one. The Utes not scoring before the half after the fumble into the end zone. Chance to go up three scores at some point with Ohio State. They were never quite out of it. Two scores is bad, 
But when your office is that explosive, you're not out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but you had a long way to go. I mean, you could yeah. argue that Ohio State, without those two turnovers, I mean, they run, they win going away because they're fumbling in the end zone, throw a pick in the end zone. Yep. Go back and forth. But nevertheless, my thought today is rather than obsess about this or that, relish the experience. The awesome complete, season, capped by an awesome game. And the just being down there in the Rose Bowl, going to the parade, blah, 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 blah. To me, if I'm a Ute fan, rather than focusing on that downer of an end of the game loss, I would focus on the experience from when the time I got up, or maybe even the day before, or whenever you got down there. It depends on when you got down there. But certainly from the time you got up to the time you went to bed, you had one of the better times that you had in all of 2021. And then 2022, I guess, because it's actually January 1. I look at it as the 2021 season. Kyle always talks about 90% of the deal is recruiting, and winning is a lot of what you you build off of. Obviously, winning is great for recruiting, uh-huh. clearly. But I think the run that they got on social media, the way people felt watching the game, and I do think that part of it is that there were a lot of eyeballs on the Rose Bowl, there were a lot of eyeballs the day before in the semifinals, and I think everybody who isn't an Alabama or Georgia fan was disappointed by the semifinals. They were not competitive. They were not dramatic. Unfortunately, I'm an Alabama fan. They were blowouts, and you knew in the second quarter who was going to win the game. And then you got the Rose Bowl, which was a great show, and there were plenty of great shots of the Utah bench celebrating, the Utah fans going nuts. Coaches ought to be able to recruit off of that. Yeah, in a sense, you know, letting uh, the offense cutting loose like that kills some of the... Uh, don't, don't go there. It's yeah. a wide receiver. You can't make a big play. Yeah, look at them throwing it all over the place. And it's still Utah, still viewed as somewhat of the little guy in Ohio State's the beast and all that stuff. And you went toe-to-toe with them, and they kick a field goal with under 10 seconds to go. All right, and you lose the game. Such a rare experience. When do they get back? You never know. Could it be next year, a decade, two decades? Ohio State is basically going once a decade. Twice in some decades. But over the last four or five, they and, and partly well, yeah, it's a playoff. playoff. They're missing because they're going I mean, to the, the playoff. last two years, they went to the playoff. Yep. And, and this would have been their third year in a row. But this was their 16th appearance, uh, which I think SC's doubled that. Uh, so, yeah. The dudes were the new guy on the stage. See what they can do, man. Yep. Should be good again next year. And we talked a little jazz with Steve Cleveland. If you missed any of this, you want to hear the Rose Bowl talk wherever you get podcasts. You can hear our show. The interviews are broken out separately by Yach, but you can also just listen to the whole show hour after hour. Uh, and Jake came in. You guys took calls. Old school this morning. Well, the Utes fans' passion for this is part of the deal. So good to hear from the fans who were down at evident. the game. and. I called in. Your feedback, we got a lot of you tweeting at us, a lot of you uh, hitting us up on Facebook, and we'll get to that next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ PK, it is time for your feedback. And there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of feedback here from people. Brett, great game, exclamation point. Yes. Then there is also some back and forth between the fans. Oh, shut up on this one. Come <laughs> on. Some BYU fans are making fun of Utah for losing. Do you know number 6 Ohio State? You know BYU lost to an unranked UAB. Okay, these two teams both made a lot of hay on the, on the Pac-12. In their, in their Pac-12 games, Utah 9-1. BYU 5-0. So that's 
14 and 1. That's good. They were a combined 6 and 6 in their non-Pac 12 games. And they both have a uh, they both have a big sky win in there. So 4 and 6 if you throw out the big sky and the Pac 12. And that is why the coaches tell you at BYU there's work to be done on the move to the Big 12. And I think there was a uh, stat I saw, which I will never dig up. Maybe, maybe Yach would dig this up. But that Ohio State had 65 players who were four or five-star recruits, and the Utes had 17. Oh, yeah, the sports pack, the Pac-12 sports. Did they tweet that out? I thought 17 was high for the Utes. I didn't know the Utes had that many. But Utah's had a nice uptick in recruiting recently. They have. I still didn't know. Talk to me about NFL guys, though. Yes. Yeah, right? That's a better. If you're a three-star guy who makes it the NFL, <laughs> that means somebody screwed up the stars. I trust or the you NFL. D- or you developed. Or you developed, right? yeah. I mean, so the star maybe at the time, you may be a legitimate three-star in high school because you haven't hit whatever level of fully developed you're going to get. And obviously in college, they can develop you. This is basically yeah, and a full-time you put on gig. weight at that point. Yeah. yeah. So that doesn't necessarily mean you were misstarred, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, talk to me about the NFL players. Now, Ohio State, they put out a thing, I read it, 51 guys active in the NFL at the time they put it out at the end of the season, and that was second to Alabama at 53. And, well, what does that say? Oh, wait, I think I know what that says. Of course we know what it says. <laughs> <laughs> and plus two, you know, you, know you, you can get somebody who might be on a bench who's an NFL kid, and he hasn't developed into an NFL guy, and he's a year away from really taking off. Uh, so I just think that they got beat by a, an incredible quarterback. I mean, really, really, really good quarterback. Great quarterback. I don't even need good anymore. And I'll, I, I actually, I'm not a Ohio State guy by any stretch, but I look forward to watching this kid. Well, there's already a lot of talk about what NFL teams should uh, be doing in the draft, especially the bottom third of the league. And there's essentially, I mean, there's 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, but there's really 15 to 20 starters. Roethlisberger's in the middle of the league, and everybody thinks he should hang it up, and I think he probably thinks he should hang it up, and he probably will. And there's some young guys in the bottom half are developing. It's too early. They're in the first or second year, and it's too early to say if, if they're it or not. But for the 68 teams who clearly need a quarterback. Oh, I would draft Shroud like Red Allback did with Larry Bird. They don't just wait for him for a year. <laughs> That's not legal. You can't do that. Why it would, not? It would be good if you could because <laughs> he's not draft eligible because he hasn't done his three years yet. Yeah. Tell them I've screw you. I'm not coming out. I'm going to play this next year. Draft them now. Okay. But the thought for these teams is that this draft doesn't have quarterbacks, and the next draft does. So get your D lineman or your O lineman or whoever linebacker, whatever, at the top of this draft. Get your quarterback next draft, and you know one of the quarterbacks they're talking about is Stroud. Clearly, he's all that. He really is, man. And we will see that on the draft boards as soon as we get past this draft and the draft boards come out for the next one. Yeah. Because he's got it. Like like you said, he's totally comfortable in the pocket, no happy feet, and if the pocket does start to collapse, he's mobile. It's the best combination. Touch, strength. The last touchdown pass was on the money. Yeah. What a great throw and a great catch. Defender had no chance. You would have had to be seven feet tall with the broom or something like they used to, basketball coaches used to pretend the seven, they got a seven-foot shot blocker in there, give yeah. some kid a broom. Uh-huh. That's what a defensive back would have needed to break that play up. 
Some of the early ones were just blown coverage guys running wide open. But that one, that was that was a big time throw. He was brilliant. He's fun to watch, and even in for defeat from the Utes. Brant with a backhanded compliment. Can't wait for the Pac-12 to be so historically bad again that Utah can actually win another title. Great season, though. Brant. Raining just, on the parade. I, I just don't think today's the day. All that Utah went through. Jimmy says the depth of the top programs is insane. Two first-round wide receivers sat out, and two studs took their spots. Yeah, the other guy actually had more receiving yards than the other two, so it's not right. like he took their spots. No. He was already their top leading receiver. Yes. But Marvin Harrison Jr. took the spot. He took the opportunity and ran with it. Uh, Scored three he, touchdowns. He caught with it. And caught with it. Uh, I think that Stroud chose to go to him, but maybe because he chose him because he was open. Salt Lake Jake gets the last word. It was an amazing experience, worth every second and every penny. It's what I've been talking about for a decade. We'll leave it right there. We will see you tomorrow. Jake and Ben are up next here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.